So good to be with you, Harvest. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Uh, what a time of the year it is. Uh, glorious, victorious. Hey, I want to just take and pause for a moment before we dive into God's Word here. And uh, at times, there's appropriate times just to give a shout out to individuals. We've got so many people who deserve shout outs here, but uh, one I just need to give is... Uh, Danielle Ogden has been our administrative assistant for a year and 10 months. And Danielle is getting married this Saturday, and I get to perform that wedding. I'm excited about that. And um, she's going to be getting married, and her husband is uh, taking her away. It's the deal with that. But uh, I just want to take a moment and just, Danielle, if you'd stand. And just, we just are so grateful for you. She has just been uh, very special to us, to our family, and uh, she has just served with character and with kindness, and uh, how hard is it to do that around four or five guys is uh, not an easy thing to do. So I love you, and uh, we're excited what the Lord has for you. Well, Lord, uh, we enter into your word now, and we love you. We just pause. We are just reminded of the grandeur and the glorious, victorious you. Oh God, I pray as we enter into our text today, as we're going through this series through Mark, the triumphal entry, what a perfect event to be talking about after Christmas. It really is. I just really pray, God, that the Spirit of God would be in this room. The word would be strong because it's your word, not because of me. Uh, may we be a people that just yearn and eat it up. So more of you, Lord, we pray. More of you right now. In Christ's name, amen. Well, Harvest, we are about to enter into some of the most intense, uh, uh, powerful, amazing portions of the Gospel of Mark. So grab your Bible, turn to Mark chapter 11. If you're new here, we are going through a series through Mark. We're going to be finishing up Mark at, on, Easter, uh, on Easter Sunday. And uh, today we are at the triumphal entry. We are on deity on a donkey. And uh, we're going there. And, and I just know this event is so often, bless our hearts, but it's so poorly dramatized. Um, you know, in the church plays and so forth on Palm Sunday, sorry to break your heart, but I think actually this took place on a Monday. Uh, if I just lost you there, get over it. Um, but uh, it's, um, you know, we have the 20 people kind of dressed in sheets that are, we took off our beds and are sewn together and we have plastic palm trees and and, you know, everybody who's uh, putting the palm trees down, they know the rest of the story. And that's part of what's not so good about that situation. But, you know, there's 20 people there, and that's kind of what's going on. And and then when it's movies, it gets a little bit better. We maybe get 100 or 200 people that are all involved in this event. But I, I have to say this, even that is kind of wimpy for what's really going on. And, and we're going to go to this event and see this together. I, I really hope you walk away today enamored with the Lord. Because this event here on the triumphal entry, if you, if you know the story, uh, part of my job here is to help us to see the fullness of this. Because if I don't help us see the fullness of what's going on, we're, we're going to miss some of the grandeur of what's going on uh, in the text as it has here. So, so I'm going to be kind of uh, working it, uh, playing with it, uh, a bit exuberant in it. But, but I have to for us, I think, to be able to grasp the fullness of what is really happening here. This this is not just about 20 people throwing plastic branches down, uh, wrapped in sheets, and going, he's cool. All right? It's way, way more than that. Well, we're in chapter 11, chapter 11 through 16. This is the final week of Christ's life. The final what? The final week. And I think, I'm not going to go into why, but I think that the triumphal entry takes place on Monday. So think this, it's Monday, and Friday is the cross. What day is it? 
And I just messed you up because you're like, Sunday. No, it's, it's Monday as we're going into text here. So we're, we're going there. Last Sunday, Mark chapter 10, Mark told us that they were on the road. They're going up to Jerusalem. Uh, Jesus was walking ahead of them. We talked about really the, the coolness, the, the image of that, the importance of that. He is going to the cross. He's not being forced to the cross. Then as they're going, we had that whole thing with James and John and, and their blessed mom uh, coaxing on their sons to call for shotgun. Uh, I want shotgun when thinking that Jesus is going in to take the throne in the temple. The Davidic kingdom is back and the two other guys are like, can we have right and left? I want shotgun. Put the other guys in the back seat. Uh, that's really what was going on with their Bless their hearts. I probably would have been doing the same thing. Uh, but in that conversation, Jesus says, hey, you want to be great? Let's talk about that. Let's talk about what it looks like to be great. What it looks like to be great is, as we've summed up over a couple Sundays, is back of the line servant and slave of all. Why should I do that? Well, Jesus answers that in the text from last Sunday. Because I, the son of man, that's the Daniel 7 one, the one who will sit in the throne one day, because I as that one, I came not to be served, but to serve, i.e. to go to the cross. So live like me. That's what's really going on. That's what's setting the stage for us. They continue the walk to Jerusalem. Jesus is out front. We pick up chapter 11. Got your Bibles open? Okay, iPads or whatever turned on. Let's go. Verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, let's stop there. Let's get a context here. Three places are given. How many? Three of them. The first one is uh, uh, Jerusalem. And, and before we get to that, you can see where Jerusalem is, but let me explain these circles here. These circles really are showing where the main area where Jesus and the disciples have been at so far up to, let's say, these three years, just use round numbers. The, the bigger circle that's there, that's kind of the area they've been up in that, the, the tighter, bolder line circle there. That's really been the center of where they have been the most of the time. Now you can see most of the time, and this is going to have implications for later, most of the time they've been spending up there, a couple times they've come down, but most of the time up there, they have now are making their way down towards Jerusalem. Uh, Jerusalem, uh, uh, it, it's, it's center here. Let's go to the next slide. You can see here a little tighter in, Capernaum was kind of their, their base camp up by the Sea of Galilee. They come down, Jericho's there, Bethany, the Mount of Olives, uh, uh, Jerusalem. Those are the three places. Let's talk about each of those. Uh, Jerusalem. It was about an 80-mile trek that they took, so this didn't happen in one day on their walk. It's their final destination to where they're going because, as we saw last time, Jesus is telling them in chapter 10, verse 33, that they're going there, that he will be handed over, that he will be killed, arise in three days, but that's where they're headed. Uh, that's what's going to take place. Uh, important note here. Think of Jerusalem as God's gauge for the heart of the Israelites. Let me say that one more time if you want to write that down because that's as important for later on. You need to understand that essentially God looks at Jerusalem and sees what happens there at that time and grabs a hold of Jerusalem and is looking there and the heartbeat, the heart of what's going on is kind of uh, exemplified, is, is seen there, what's happening in Jerusalem, and especially with uh, the leadership in Jerusalem, that is a depiction of much of what is going on throughout all of Israel. So view Jerusalem at this point in time as the heart of what's going on with the Israelites as a whole from God's viewpoint. We'll come back to that, Jerusalem. The next is Bethphage and Bethany. Now, Bethphage and Bethany are suburbs of Jerusalem. Think of it this way. Bethphage and Bethany are Avon and Plainfield, or Avon and Brownsburg. That's really what it is, almost very, very close, literally, to that reality. They're just outside of Israel. From Bethany, it's less than two miles into, is, into the city of Jerusalem. And so the, this is where uh, Jesus and the Twelve are going to be spending every night, uh, essentially, up until Friday. Uh, it's less than two miles away. Also, one of the things to note, it's the home of Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. We're not talking Mary, Jesus' mother, but Mary, Lazarus, and Martha's sister. 
And what just happened in, in uh, up in this area before, Mark doesn't record it, but Lazarus is risen from the dead. Uh, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And then after that, uh, Mary goes and pours oil on Jesus' feet and wipes it with her hair. Remember that story? That happens right before the triumphal entry. Uh, that's important. That's what's taking place uh, uh, in Bethany. So, uh, in fact, let's do this. Go to John 12. Take a right in your Bible, a couple pages, John chapter 12. We'll get a little summary picture here of what's going on. Uh, John chapter 12, um, in verse 9, it says, When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, and by the way, chapter 11, Lazarus raised him from the dead, beginning of chapter 12, Mary anoints Jesus at Bethany. Uh, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus. Why would people want to come and see Lazarus? Because he was dead and now he's alive. Like, I want to see that. Uh, wouldn't you? I mean, really, if I'm headed to Jerusalem, I'm going and hanging out in Bethany to see this dude and to find out what's really going on with that. So they were there to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. Verse 10, so the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. What's going on with these chief priest dudes? Uh, next Sunday. Next Sunday, we'll be talking a little bit about that. Uh, but in it, that's what's happening. They not only want to put Jesus to death, but they want to put Lazarus to death. Why? Lazarus is like proof. And so they want to take him out and take Jesus out and just shut this whole thing down. Uh, verse 11, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. By the way, that going away term, it really means this idea they were going over to Jesus. And so for the chief priests, they're all going to Jesus. And they didn't want that to happen. All of that I read because that is the setting on what's just like within hours, a day or two behind what's going on here in the triumphal entry. So that's Bethphage and Bethany. There's a third place that was mentioned in verse 1, the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives. It's an important place. It's literally uh, right. You can see the city of Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. Been there, and, and it's just right outside of it. It's an important place. It's important from the past. That's where uh, uh, Solomon grieved God by erecting idols for his for his foreign wives to worship. Uh, it was also where Ezekiel witnessed the glory of God in Ezekiel 11. It's also important right now because Jesus is going to make his way over through the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem. Uh, other things happen there. In fact, uh, this is where the Garden of Gethsemane is and where he's going to be arrested. And this is also where the ascension of Christ uh, takes place as well. So let's kind of summarize that portion up by with a different map here. This one kind of gives you more of a ground view. You're, you're looking to the east, all right, west to east, Jericho, the Dead Sea over there. You can see Bethany, the Mount of Olives, and, and the city of Jerusalem. You can get an idea on how big of a deal the temple was in Jerusalem. It wasn't just a church on a corner, okay? Please understand that. That was not the case. Uh, that gives you an idea. Oh, one other thing I have to add. It was Passover week. It's Passover week. That's a big deal because it was a big deal. And it was a big deal for a number of reasons. Number one, it was like the Christmas time of the year in that day and age. Passover, that's when the nation celebrated God's provision of an unblenished firstborn male lamb. That's interesting. That would be sacrificed. And the blood of that lamb would be then painted over the doorposts of the house. And at night, people would paint that and then stay in their house. Now, I, I bet you they were not playing cards. They were not playing parcheesi or whatever Christmas game you were playing. And they were all down, hunkered down together as the judgment of the Lord passes over. And they're in their house being like, Oh Lord, oh Lord, please spare us from the judgment of the Lord only by the blood of the lamb. That's the setting. That's the scene. And now they are celebrating that. And it is all through Israel. Everybody celebrates. In fact, it was kind of the thing where it was like, if you really wanted to celebrate Passover, you had to be in Jerusalem. So people would come into Jerusalem by the droves. In fact, every Passover at that time, the city would increase threefold. 
because of much of the population from all of Israel coming into the city. This is Super Bowl kind of time. But, but do know this. This Passover was different than the other Passovers because there was all this hubbub going on, this thing going on with this Jesus from Nazareth. Everybody knew it. Everybody knew it. And, and if you've been through this series so far, you, you, you know that in this movement of it, it's been building up to this point. And so likely there were four to five times the number of people in Jerusalem this Passover. What does that mean? That means that there were some two million people in Jerusalem for this Passover. That's huge. I won't go into it, but in fact, they would even annex the surrounding suburb cities into the area, classifying it as Jerusalem, so that when people came, when they stayed in Bethany or Bethphage, they were still part of Jerusalem, because they didn't have the JW Marriott's in the city to be able to house all the people. And it was just a massive, with uh, two million probably people. This is, this is like a holiday season on steroids. All of that is really important for understanding. Oh, one last thing I'll add. It was such a big deal and such a big number of people that the Roman military was put on guard, on watch, on units, ready to be buckled up, ready to go at any moment, because it's very possible something's going to be going down this Passover. Even the Roman centurions knew, knew about it. So let's pick up uh, verse 1. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to, by the way, what day is it? It's Monday. To Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples. How many of his disciples? And, and he said to them, go into the village in front of you. By the way, this is now the 32nd time we have, are coming across this word. We're about to come across. Those of you who are normally here, you know what's going on with that. Take a breath. Get ready. Because this is a word Mark uses over and over again. Now for the 32nd time, go into the village in front of you. And immediately, as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here for the 33rd time immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside the street and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, why are you doing, uh, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus, threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Let's talk about this for a little bit, because don't miss what's happening here. This just sounds like a bunch of drivel info. It's like, okay, go get a donkey, bring it back. Okay, let's do the real deal. Here's what's going on with this. Jesus sends two of his disciples into a city, telling them that an unridden, tied-up colt will be in the front of the town. Not if you will find it, but you will find it. He then tells the two of them, if anyone says anything, and then verse 5, they say that thing. And I just add all this. He he knew what specific village. He he knew uh, what they would find in it, a colt, a donkey, where they would find it immediately at the front of the town, not in the back. He didn't say, just go wander around until you find one. But when you get to this town, right in the front of the town, there's going to be a donkey there. They knew where to find it. They knew its situation. He knew that the donkey was tied up. On top of that, uh, he knew the donkey's history. No one had ever sat on this donkey. He also, with it, he knew what the people would say. And he knew what they should answer. And then he knew what those hearers, how they would respond. Friends, hear me in this. This is not just some dude walking along saying, I want a donkey. This guy knew every move. Who knows where things are, where people are, how they are, what they say, and how they will respond. Listen, you don't do that, and I can't do that. Friends, this is no dude on a donkey. This is deity, and everything we just read there shows us that reality. Oh, on the unridden colt donkey thing. In our day, we think of a donkey. It's kind of like this. That's a dorky animal to ride, isn't it? I mean, he haw By the way, did you watch It's a Wonderful Life? Oh, that guy. Who does the hee-haw thing? Anyway. Um, <laughs> I have issues. Um, 
But listen, in our day, we view a donkey as kind of a dorky animal. But in that day, it was the complete opposite. And it's hard for us to get past this. But a donkey in that day was more like a stallion. Hey, a king rides that. And that's what happened. You can even go to 1 Kings 133. You can go to the history books and find that that's true. Kings rode donkeys when they came in on the grand celebration parades. Add to that 1 Samuel 6. Just this idea of an unridden, unyoked animal. It talks about how God said that the Ark of the Covenant was to be pulled by two unyoked, unridden animals. By the way, now, here we're going to be having an unyoked, unridden animal carrying the true Ark of the Covenant, if you will. It's cool stuff. Zechariah 9.9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fall of a donkey. Add to that. This is the only time we ever see Jesus riding an animal in any of the Gospels. Add to that the symbolism of verse 3 when when it says that, you know, you say the Lord needs it. That same phrase was used in Mark chapter 2 regarding, uh, referring back to when David's men ate it. And and it talks about how uh, the Lord needs it. Essentially, it's bringing in kind of this illusion of history of David's greater son, Jesus, is here now entering. And add to that Daniel's prophecy that from the time of Artaxerxes' decree to rebuild the temple until the coming of the Messiah would be 483 years. And if you do the math, it is now 483 years from that. I'm telling you, friends, this is no dude on a donkey. This is crazy cool stuff. And the reality is that Jesus is initiating his own coronation here. It's interesting He's doing something we've never seen him do before. Uh, Up to this point, in fact, this is something that he said, don't do. Uh, When we've hit it at the various times, I've tried to emphasize that, bringing it all over time to this point and where we're at. Because Jesus has said, shh, don't don't tell. Just don't, don't go public. Don't make a big deal out of it right now. There's multiple reasons for that. But one of them now that makes it so interesting is now Jesus is permitting his followers to go public. And big, by the way. This is what's happening. This is his coronation. Why is he doing this? Well, one, it's biblical from the Old Testament, and he's fulfilling the scriptures. But, but even if you will, in all this, this is so, listen, this is so cool and so important. This is a deliberate, bold move. Strategic move here. Because remember when we read in John 12 that the chief priests want to put not only Jesus to death, but Lazarus to death? Here's the reality. They did not want to put him at death during Passover. And they didn't want to put him at death during Passover because why? Well, all the people are there, and that's a perfect time for a lot of bad things then to happen. And the people were flocking, going over to Jesus. So it's just like, you know, it happens in politics, whether, you know, for the last presidents for a while, I'm not picking on anyone in particular, it's just oftentimes things will then happen on a Friday before a holiday weekend or before uh, some holiday time, that'll happen. Why, why is that done? So it just won't get quite as much press, it won't get quite as much attention, let's just kind of run it under here. And here's what was going on in the day, the chief priests were wanting to keep this all sly and cool and under the table, they wanted to kill him, but Jesus is like this. I'm playing the cards, and here's the deal. You've got to take me to the cross now. You have to. He was playing. This this is such a strategic, bold God move. They didn't want to, but by the fact of him walking in in this manner, he was declaring himself the king. He was declaring himself the son of man of the Old Testament. He was declaring himself the Christ and the Messiah. They couldn't let that go. They had to do something about it. And they had to do something about it right now. Why? Because he forced them to. Do you remember from last Sunday? Jesus was out front. (laughs) I'm sorry, I just love this stuff. 
Jesus is out front going to Jerusalem. And how Mark includes that, I was talking about, I think Mark includes that just to show the reality that he's not in the back of the line and he's not like being forced into this. No, no, no. My Savior, our Savior, front of the line. And when he gets to Jerusalem, he's like, listen, dudes, you're not playing a game with me. I'm playing the cards and you are taking me to the cross. Here we go, boys. That's my Savior. That's our Savior. And by the way, that's how he's going to be coming in the future. This is no wussy Jesus. This is no hippie-sandaled, wimpy, British-speaking movie Jesus. It's all in control. Oh, I love this stuff, you guys. Ah, Sorry. And he enters Jerusalem. By the way, we have this picture. This is looking from east to west. I'm not sure whether the entry road was like that lifted up or whether it's on the ground. It doesn't matter. This just kind of gives you, you'll be seeing this picture for a while here. You see how big the temple area is? This is huge. This is not church on a corner. And so bring this picture in. This is a triumphal entry about the king, about the priest, about the savior, about the second person of the Trinity, the creator of all things, Colossians 1, is entering into the temple. Boom, boom, boom. It's awesome. And he's in control. This is no dude on a donkey. This is deity on a donkey. Verse 7. And they brought the colt to Jesus and they threw their cloaks on it and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest. Let's pause there. Few things on this reminder. Mark is writing to Roman Gentiles. He's not writing to the Jews. He's writing to Gentiles, people like us. Uh, the Roman Gentiles knew how to do parades. They were masters at it. You've, if you've been around, you know I love Gladiator. It's like the best movie ever. And really, part of the reason I like it is because of what we're starting to get into now. It, it sets things out there in the scene of how. Power was viewed and used. It shows the reality of how man and people were just pieces of meat. It just shows the reality of what's going on in the day. And it also, if you come to the scene to where, where the, the, the entry of that dirt ball guy is, you know, the king guy is coming in and it gives you an idea of what they did. They knew how to do parades. They were amazing at it. And Mark is writing to Roman Gentiles. And and in their mind, when they're thinking of an official Roman triumph parade, uh, it's not looking like what's going to happen or what is happening here. Instead, what what they're used to is these massive, uh, elaborate parades where there had been a conquest. and, And the general of that would be literally put on a golden chariot. Uh, There would be trophies of war in part of the parade, uh, statues or or, or things that they had gathered together, gold and various kinds of things. And it also, within the parade, they would have the slaves, uh, the, the people that they had conquered over. And they would be cheering that we conquered them. There would also be in this line of people, there would be priests that are burning incense, walking down the road and swinging these things, kind of giving the clear idea, see, uh, the gods are on our side. And the people are shouting and going crazy. Hey, everybody loves being team number one, right? I mean, when the Colts went to the Super Bowl, was that not awesome? We rock! <laughs> kind of the thing. Everybody loves being team number one. And that when seeing the success of it and all of this was paraded before them, then what would happen is, is they're going down, it would lead to the arena, to the Coliseum. And all the people would be allowed into the Coliseum. And, and then these things would be paraded in. And, and then the people that they had captured would be taken into the Coliseum. And the people would be entertained by the, the ones who were captured going into an animal game against animals and eaten alive before everybody. My things have changed, haven't they? That's what would happen. But know this. This parade was nothing like that. How interesting. Jesus' triumphal entry was not about 
returning from a military victory. Jesus' triumphal entry is all about the one entering a war. And he's entering into the arena. And he's the one that all the people are around. Some Hosanna crying, some crucify crying. He's the one in the amphitheater that's being made the center of it all. And he willingly walks it in. And he plays it. They have to crucify him. Theologically, Christ didn't die. He gave up his life. He gave up his life as a ransom. And it's all the way through this. Hmm. Verse 8, many spread their cloaks on the road. In ancient times, the custom was citizens would throw their garments down for the monarch to ride over. It was a statement. It was a symbolic statement of their respect and also their submission. It essentially was saying, we place ourselves at your feet. Keep that in mind. It is meant to be when this is happening. We place ourselves at your feet. And it was even in the day with the, with the monarchs, it was the kind of thing, even for you to walk over us. It was a symbolic endeavor. Add to all this the number of the people at this triumphal entry event. How many people might there be? Mark or the other gospels don't tell us, but, uh, so I want to be very clear here that what I'm about to say is I think. Okay? So, if, if there are two million people in and around Jerusalem at this time of Passover, and if just one percent of the people were a part of this event, that would be 20,000 people. That's a lot of people, right? I mean, that's a good filled up Pacers game, all those people. But I think there were more than one percent of the people. Because this whole event, everybody knew about it. This was a massively big event. Let's say there were 5% of the people were a part of this triumphal entry. 5%, that's 100,000 people. Can you imagine that? 100,000 people. And I'm saying it this way on purpose. I think there were likely 100 to 200,000 people involved in this whole triumphal entry event. This is not 20 people in sheets and plastic palms. This is not even 100 or 200 people. This is thousands, tens of thousands, and I think likely hundreds of thousands of people a part of this thing. Now what do they say? Uh, Likely not all of them, uh, but for sure some are saying what uh, Mark and the other gospel writers tell here. In verse 9 it says they're shouting. By the way, it's not... It's not just talking. They're not like, hey, Hosanna. Yeah, you're really awesome. It wasn't like that. Uh, they were shouting in it. This was just uh, uh, an event. And Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Next sentence is really, really important. They weren't shouting that. Uh, but they say, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna, what's that mean? Well, kind of a, uh, it sounds so British, but it's, uh, save, I pray. <laughs> save, I pray. Uh, it wasn't really going on. That's just not American. I think for us to get a grab a hold of that, that sounds too kind, if, too wimpy in that. But what's really going on is it's, it's save now. And people are shouting, save now! Save now! Think about that. The people are understanding now something's happened. Right now, something's about to go down. They didn't like the Roman rulers. They didn't, most of them, even like the chief priests and the ones who are in charge. And they're like, it's going down, it's going down. Save now. Save now to what? What are they actually declaring in this? Well, in this, uh, they are... Saying, Hosanna, save now. It sounds so biblical. It sounds so truth-filled. It sounds so gospel. It, it sounds like they get it. It sounds like in our church events, when the people that are doing know the rest of the story. But the problem is, is these guys didn't know the rest of the story. 
And when you take a look at what they're saying, I don't think they have a clue what the story is. Why do I say that? I think that they knew that some God thing is going on here because of their Old Testament understanding of, of the Son of Man, the Daniel 7 one, the Messiah, the Christ. And they're in this, but, but they're thinking political. They're thinking military conquering. I, I think that they definitely are like, yeah, deity is in on this Jesus thing somehow in some way. But their, their declaration reveals this horizontalness of how they see Jesus in it. It's not a Messiah, a King Christ. It's not uh, the priest, the full and final priest. It's not you are the Genesis 3.15 one. It's not you are the Isaiah 53 one. It's not you are the Psalm 22 one. It's not you are the Exodus 11 one. It's not that. It's more of this of idea that it's not save me from my sin condition. It's not that. What they're really declaring here is save now. Save us now from the political mess. From the economic mess. From the rulership over me. We want the world at our feet. Save us to that. I want more peace. I want a better life. I want good things. I want health and wealth. And I want happiness. And I think you could bring that to me. Listen, if you'll make my life better, I want you. If you'll do more for me, then I want you. Save now. Save now. Assuming that you've made a decision to follow Christ, I'm making an assumption there, and that may not be the case for you. This may be in the case where you're just trying to figure out what this whole Jesus thing is all about, and I love people like that. But, but I want to talk to you if, if you are at that place where you're like, yeah, I, I made a choice for Christ. I made a decision for Christ. I made, a, I made a declaration for Christ. I even made a public declaration for Christ. Question. What were you declaring? I'm very serious right now. What were you declaring? What were, what were you being asked to be saved from or saved to? Think about this. Christ is entering. And by the way, in the whole thing, John 12 tells us that the disciples did not understand at all what was going on. And if the disciples didn't understand, even though they had been told three times, all in a little huddle group, everything that's going on, if they still didn't get on, I'm telling you, folks, the hundred plus thousand people didn't get what's going on. And the whole event, Christ is coming in this. And let me add in during the whole triumphal entry of it. When it's coming, Jesus, I think, is at the point of coming kind of on the Mount of Olives part of the entry in. Because when you're up there, you can see, now I still remember, I'm just literally picturing myself there when we were there. And you can see the whole city of Jerusalem as you're coming over. And in Luke 19, Jesus says, it tells us there that Jesus wept. Wait a second, why would he be weeping in such a massive, glorious event when everybody is giving him the praises that he deserves? It tells us it's because he looks at the city and he weeps over its disobedience. He weeps over its blindness. He weeps over the coming destruction of the city because of all of that. Listen, Jesus is on the donkey walking into Jerusalem and he knows that all the marvelous declarations, they actually don't even know what they're declaring. But it sounds so right. It feels so right. And there's so much hope behind it. But it's not right. Do you remember Mark chapter 4? We talked about the four soils. 
The second and the third soil, it talks about how uh, the word is sown and the word comes in the text talks about how they receive the word. But then the second soil and the third soil, it tells that, that, that after receiving the word, they, they, they essentially, they bag out. It says that because of tribulation, because of the word, or because of things of the world, they're basically like, I'm out on that now. And I think as we talked about, the text is very clear that Jesus is saying that is not saved in Christ. But instead, the fourth soil is the soil that receives the word as we pictured and this seed Christ comes in and the soil is putting everything of itself into the seed so that out of the seed growth begins to happen and fruit begins to being produced and out of receiving the seed you can look and you can go that dirt received the seed it's the real deal there it's producing fruit in keeping with salvation These people were wanting to receive something, but the reality, there was no call out for transform me. There was no call out for the problem of their sin condition. They wanted a better life. And if Jesus could provide it, then on that day, they would declare, save now, save now. If you've come to that point where you've received Christ as your Savior, I'm very serious again about this. What were you receiving? What were you receiving? You see, receiving and a transformed life go together. And I, in love, I'm just in love. I just say, if you look and you're like, my life really is the same this year as it was last year as it was before. Where's the transformation? And if there's been no transformation in your life, in love, I say, are you really saved in Christ? Or did you receive a different gospel that's about you? Doug, you are really, it's right after Christmas, dude. May I remind you of Matthew chapter 7. When Jesus said to a group of people on the Sermon on the Mount, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord. Many, not few. Many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord. And yet I will reply and I will tell them, I never knew you. That should cause every one of us to take a step back. And go, what really is my salvation story? Do I have one? Rescued to be transformed. Putting our garments down in submission. Lord, I'm at your feet to be and do all that you ask. That's what is to be the reality. Anything less is a game. Verse 11. And he entered Jerusalem and he went into the temple And when he had walked around, looked around at everything, and as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. It's intriguing. The day ends without Jesus on the throne. But he came in and he comes into the temple and he just walks around and he takes a look all around. You can see on the screen, it's, it's a big building. It's a big facility. It it almost, as you read it, you kind of get the idea that there's not a whole lot. By the way, I'm sorry, we've got the windscreen is off, so uh, getting a little feedback for you there. Uh, But he's walking around and he's looking around and um, in it, he, 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 I don't know what he's looking at. It just tells us he looked at everything. 
It's almost like the crowds are now gone. It's just the way the text reads, it's kind of like they're gone and all the big hullabaloo is done and, and he's in there and he's taking a look all around and I just wonder what he's thinking. We're not told. Other than it's like, oh, it's getting late, we got a two mile walk. Let's go guys. Do you remember in the very beginning when I was talking about, and I think I can prove it out of the Old Testament, that God really looked at Jerusalem as the heart of the Israelite people? Uh, I might correlate it this way. Jesus just walked into the heart of the Israelites and took a look around. And he just made an assessment. Friends, know this. The priest just entered the house. And we're talking the priest. He just walked in, took a look around, and gauged the heart of the Israelites. And he heads back home. What would be Jesus' assessment walking around in your heart? And he takes a step in and you've got the plaque on the wall from when you were walked forward to receive Christ. And you got the other plaque of something, whatever. But then, friends, I'll tell you, I have sat across the desk from so many people who go back to an event in their life. And then you ask them, what has the transformation change been in your life since that time? And it just so often is there's not much at all. And the question must uncomfortably be put on the table. Are you really saved? What did were you saved unto? And so this day, I, in uncomfort, if you know me, I put out on the table for love for you and for me. What is Jesus' conclusion about whose you are? Don't worry about mine. Don't worry about the person sitting next to you. What is Jesus' conclusion after he's taken a stroll in your heart? Christmas time is a time to give a shout out for Jesus. But do we really know what we're shouting out? Hey, this week, I leave you with this challenge. Consider. I just want for you to take this and consider. Where are you? Where are you at? Next week, Jesus comes back to the temple. And the next day, he comes back to the table. And well, next week, we're going to do some turning over. But I ask right now that you consider what's going on. What's going on? What's going on? Let's pray. Just with your head bows and your eyes closed, I'm not going to do anything funky here. But friends, this is so important. This is about relationship with God and or not relationship with God. This is about eternity. Has there been a time in your life where you've come to understand that you are a sinner separated from God? The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, all. Have you come to realize that and yet to come to realize that there was one who said, He was the one who came to pay the sacrifice in our place and to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And have you received that? I'm not asking if you know about that. But have you received that? 
and received that with the understanding of, Lord, I now, I give up on me and I'm all on you and I commit myself to you. I submit myself to you, Lord. And then transformation begins to happen. I lastly want to thank you for being a people who is willing to be pressed into and for being a people that is willing to consider. Would you do that this week? Consider. Because the Lord's got a word for next Sunday. Lord, Hosanna. We, We can be so often like the ones on the triumphal entry were well-intentioned, thinking they understand. Sounds so good, but it's only part of the reality. Father, I pray if there's anyone in here this morning that does not know you as Savior, Lord, if they're a member of this church, if, if, if they've attended here for a long time, if they're brand new, oh God, I would just pray that this week you would love on them and make clarity come to the surface. You desire to redeem. And that's why you got on that donkey. And That's why you forced the hand. And that's why you walked into the temple to declare who you were for the reason of being put on a cross and making forgiveness and salvation and redemption available. Oh God, may we fall before you. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Give us wisdom in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen.